Welcome to the Life Success and Legacy Podcast. We're super excited. We are taking on a worthwhile endeavor at Life Success and Legacy. Our intention is to honor Nelson Nash, the man, as well as the infinite banking concept. We're going to create a series of resources, including podcasts and text, as a resource for others who want to truly understand with depth and clarity what Nelson shared in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, as well as the many seminars and think tanks that we were fortunate to have attended during his life. So who is this intended audience? Well, we will use Nelson Nash's own words. It is written for the layman, not for financial advisors, but all life agents should be thoroughly knowledgeable of its content and practice. So whether you are an individual, part of a family, a business owner, or a life insurance agent, this is for you. So sit back, relax, and we will walk you through becoming your own banker step-by-step so you can reference the parts you want to revisit at your own pace. And we might have a little fun along the way. Hey, welcome back to the Life Success and Legacy podcast. Uh, Chris Bay here with Mike Everett. Um, hey, Mike, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing well. You uh, you getting everything packed up for this family trip you got coming up? Uh, we're uh, we're getting focused. We're starting to get uh, lists together now. Do you think that I'm a list guy? <laughs> no, but I know who in your house would have a list. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I have a a wife, a daughter, and a daughter-in-law that are all list people. So it absolutely works perfectly for me. <laughs> yeah. You guys would probably you guys would probably get a nice easy roll out in the morning. Maybe hit the road by ten or eleven, right? Uh, no, no, we'll uh, leave at 6 a.m. Let's go. <laughs> I'm a goer. <laughs> I, I have traveled with Mike Everett many a times, and <laughs> I'll just tell you, if he's in charge of, of making reservations, and he always is, it's going to be <laughs> the early, earliest dang flight you can get. <laughs> I've gotten better, though. You got to admit, I've gotten better. Yeah. We we've left at like nine or ten o'clock in the last couple of flights. Well, this is pre-COVID, so uh, right. And right. I think I think I'm slightly getting better, just very <laughs> very slight. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Hey, listeners, we are uh, always having fun at Life Success and Legacy. Um, we are in the chapter on page 23. We're in the chapter of creating your own banking system through dividend paying life insurance. And we've broken this chapter up into several podcasts, but man, it's it's worth it because it is so full of really, really important nuggets. Yeah. We are um, picking up here on page 23, the second column about halfway down. And uh, it says, so far, this is a pretty simple stuff. Now for the complicated part. <laughs> so. Now we're going to start getting into the details a little bit more, if we haven't already. Mm, mm. Life insurance salesperson. Let me just preface this. If if this is your first introduction to infinite banking, and you've been listening to a lot of financial um, advisors and, and radio shows and television shows and books and things, your cheese is about ready to get moved, okay? <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> the we talk all the time about all the noise that we that's out there in the media and et cetera and and we develop these ruts in our brains 
Yeah. Um, it's, it's our way of thinking based on what we listen to and what we read and all of that. Well, that is about ready to get challenged. Nelson really, really uh, starts to lay this out as to, to how IBC works. So he says this all-American young man referred to earlier in the book, the one that's making around 28500 and and just as Mike had referenced, he uses just an average person who's not making very much money to show IBC can work for anybody. That's right. We, we just now are doing an application for one of our youngest owners of a policy yet. She's not even 17 yet. Now, we did have to change the uh, tweak the ownership a little bit because she's not 18 yet, but essentially she's going to own this policy. Her mom's helping her out until she's of age. But this this he, Nelson uses this all American. He's making 28,500 after taxes and he's 29 years old, and he urges him to consider how much the world is going to miss you in the case of your untimely death. So <laughs> what we're going to talk about now is human life value, and I'll just I'll give a little bit of information, some context, and then Michael will fill in the dots here for us. So if we're a single-income family, which we are, and I make X amount of money each year, and I'm projected to work for a number of years, that amount of money that I make each year multiplied out by the number of years that I'm working, that is my human life value. So in essence, what I am, and this is kind of crude, but in essence, I am a money-making machine for my family. Yep. I am a machine that makes money for my family. And I'm projected to make X amount of money if, if things you know continue as is. The amount of money I make each year multiplied by the number of years that I'm going to be working. Okay. And that's so assuming we, that's assuming if you live that long. Right, right. And and what life insurance essentially is doing is it is my wife insuring that money making machine. That's what it is, because if I you know, if I fall off the earth in five, 10 years, her money-making machine is gone. So what life insurance is doing is protecting that machine that earns money for our family. Mm. So that's a very simplistic way to explain this. And, and But the term is human life value. So Mike, can you unpack, unpack that human life value a little bit for our listeners? Well, I, I'm just going to literally, so the human life value is... We try to figure out how much per year on an average and multiply by the number of years that somebody's going to work. And then Nelson says, assuming that they're going to live this long. So they're they're figuring not just what they're making right now, but they're taking into consideration raises and bonuses and all of this stuff. And the reason why they do that is because they want to figure out approximately what your life is worth or the value of your life so that if you do graduate a little bit early if you die a little bit early then those dollars will be paid to your beneficiaries through the life insurance policy it is really it's it's a it's what we call a gap filler it's just filling a gap in case things don't go as planned i don't know if that helped yeah, but it's absolutely. pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. So then the example Nelson's talking about, he's he's using an agent who's talking to this young man, so a life insurance agent, right? Yeah. 
Um, and, uh, and then he says, uh, uh, so if they figure out how much this human life value is going to be <laughs> for this young man, and it was a machine, wouldn't right. you insure that machine? Yeah, you want to talk about that part? Well, I just think it's so funny because, you know, we, we always ask the question to people, what's more important to you right now, cash or life insurance? And 99.9% of the people say cash. Well, and then I turn around and I ask, what about for the guy that's getting ready to turn 65? Is it cash or life insurance for me? And everybody almost unequivocally says, well, life insurance. And I go, well, do I look like I'm getting ready to die? And they say, well, no. And I said, so why wouldn't it be cash for me? So basically, I'm a money machine. You're a money machine. And so people who are out in the working world are just nothing more than machines making money. So if you end up having a, a machine at your business that is worth X amount of dollars, would you insure that machine? And the answer is 100% yes. So that's when Nelson turns this thing on its ear and says, well, you want to insure that machine. So that's the way we turn around and figure that. Now, I am talking specifically about life insurance sales agents. Yes. We are not life insurance sales agents. Are we life insurance guys? You better believe it. But once again, we are infinite banking coaches and teachers and educators. Our job is to help you think through on what this truly looks like for you. But if you go back to the life insurance sales agents, then they turn around and say, well, you should insure that, that a machine, you, for X number of dollars. And then what they do is they turn around and they figure out exactly what, what kind of life insurance policy they need in order to insure that machine. It's, yeah. it's kind of simple. So with the calculations that Nelson walks in, we won't go through all the calculations, but they figure out that you know his human life value is X amount. He says, so if we were to have to buy a machine that would produce <laughs> that income to your family, we would have to pay about $400,000 cash for the machine now. <laughs> That's how valuable you are to them and your charities. Mr. Doe, this is the young All-American, all if you own such a machine and it was subject to sudden loss of some kind, would you insure it? And Mr. Doe says, of course, oh my. well, by all, my, by, by all means. And the agent asks, how much would you insure it for? Well, by $400,000, of course, to which the agent responds, ah, now that we have that established, let me show you how little you will have to pay my company to satisfy that need. It, it makes me think of uh, Needle Nose Ned, the insurance salesman on uh, Groundhog Day, that movie. Yeah. 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 Our listeners, if you haven't ever checked that out, pull up a YouTube on Needle Nose Ned from Groundhog Day. Oh, uh, my. With Bill Murray. That scene is just hilarious. All right. So now, Mike, this I know this is right in your wheelhouse where Nelson, whenever Nelson starts a sentence with my word, with exclamation points, <laughs> what he's doing now is this is the shift, right? This is, is where we're shifting your, your, your way of thinking. And um, so kind of walk us through that shift that Nelson's starting to uh, unpack for us. 
Well, when you start to look at all the, all the different things that this young man has financed, it, whether, it's a, whether it's a house or cars or credit cards or student loans, uh, Nelson, he's done so many calculations, but he's paying approximately 35% of every dollar after after-tax income to interest alone. And it's, it's obvious, Nelson says in his book, that his need for finance is much greater than his need for life insurance protection. And if you solve this need through dividend paying whole life insurance, he would automatically have more life insurance and recover 100% of the interest that he's now paying to somebody else. So part of what we've got to do is that shift that you're talking about, the brain, those ruts that we have in our brain, we've got to educate people about that interest that they're already sending out the door to somebody else. And the mental block, the mental uh, just things that we have to overcome in helping people see beyond what's going on in their lives, it is unbelievable. But yet, this is what the financial geniuses have done to us. It's in business schools. It's in finance class. It's in the accounting classes, it's our CPAs. They are all, they've all made our path to run on so skinny that it's difficult for us to get outside that area and think differently about a place to store money and how we would learn how to finance stuff and how to create a system, how to create a a bank like the ones that we already know about. And then on top of that, utilizing dividend paying whole life insurance as the financial vehicle to make all of that happen. It's overwhelming. I just think about myself, my own family and and just an average family, you know, and you're thinking about, okay, I've got debt that I've got to finance. I got to make sure that I have life insurance in case something happens for me to protect my family, right? Yeah. And then I've got to be thinking ahead to some kind of uh, retirement or yep. money so that I don't become dependent on somebody else in the future, right? And so I've got this one dollar that I'm trying to decide where am I going to put that dollar? And so I'm I'm putting as much towards debt as I can, and, <laughs> and I'm putting you know, I'm putting 3% or 5% or whatever towards my retirement and hoping that that works out. And then I'm also maybe doing term life insurance just to make sure that I've got my family covered during our, our child rearing years for sure. And what Nelson's saying is if we look at that and we look at, first of all, we've got 30 to 40% of our money going to taxes up front. Then we've got another 30 to 40% going to the interest on our debt. And he's like, we're missing the whole game here. If we would simply take that money that we're putting towards term life insurance and investments and all those kinds of things, and instead run that money through whole life insurance, the question isn't how much are you paying, it's that we're not paying enough. That's right. We want to look at those premiums as deposits and get as much money into those as we can because then we can take care of our life insurance, we can finance our debt, and we can uh, have money available for us later on in life so that we're not dependent on other people. Just using this. It's a huge shift of thinking. Yeah, just using the percentages that you just gave, and I just tabulated this real quick. We have 80 to 85% going for interest, 
taxes, uh, just all the things that we're financing. Uh, and that means that we're having to live on anywhere from 15 to 20 percent after everything's all said and done. And we wonder why we can't get ahead. Yeah. yeah. It's a mess. It is. And, and we will we will jump into even deeper, you know, some of these concepts and the wind current, shifting the wind current and all that. But what we just described, that um, that the amount of money that's going to taxes mm. and the amount of money that's going to interest on debt, our clients who utilize infinite banking, they're able to eliminate the money going to the debt part, the interest, and in some cases reduce and eliminate most of their taxes because of how they're using their banking system to do real estate and other things. Yep. So it, that number that is flowing out the door, out the window that we don't see it ever again is huge. It's a big number. And yet it can be solved by creating your own banking system using a specially designed whole life insurance policy. Yep. Hmm. All right, so um, <clears throat> middle of that page, he says, so, so the young man puts $50 per month into life insurance premiums and feels that he is insurance poor, right? He is worth more dead than alive. <laughs> then he goes down to a dealer and buys an automobile, paying for it with a loan from a bank or finance company. Remember, there's only one pool of money out there in the world. The fact that any number of organizations or individuals are managing a portion of the pool is incidental, but it can be even more specific when it comes to automobile loans. Mm -hmm. Okay, do you want to talk about that, what people are doing when they take automobile loans from that pool of money? Well, I'm going I'm I'm to back up a second, and we're going to talk about insurance poor. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we have people that are spending money on, I don't care if it's life insurance, I don't care if it's home insurance, renter's insurance, automobile insurance, and we, we feel like we're poor, but yet we have so many people that go down to the automobile company and they finance a vehicle. And in this particular example, remember Nelson's book was written in 2000, this particular gentleman spending $260 a month for a automobile loan. Well, let's run to 2020 when we're now, car, car loans are anywhere from $500 to $1,000. I'm gonna use that as an example, depending on the kind of vehicle that you get. And people don't think anything about spending all that money, but yet when they look at what they're spending on, whatever their insurance is, they get kind of freaked out, they get kind of disillusioned that they're spending too much money on insurance. So what Nelson does is he turns around and uses this 29-year-old uh, 20, uh, gentleman who's making 28,000 bucks a year, and he uses this example that if we turned around and changed the way he thought about this, so the $260 a month, what he should do is he should take that $50 a month that he's actually spending on the life insurance, add it to the payment that he is making towards his car uh, loan and send $310 to a pool. Now, keep in mind, if you start to think about Nelson's basic principles, think long-term, 
don't be afraid to capitalize or capitalize your system generously. What we're going to have to do is we're going to take have to take anywhere from I'm just going to use five to eight years, five to seven years, and create a pool to where he can then begin to learn how to finance his own vehicles himself. Does it take time? You better believe it does. But the the financial payoff that would be down the road for this just one individual who doesn't make a whole lot of money a year will be significant. So it's a matter of helping people think differently. So the insurance agent really needs to make him vividly aware that he must pay the loan back at an interest rate. So as he's creating this system, what we're gonna do is, and we talked about this in one of our earlier podcasts, is we're gonna have this pool that we're gonna have access to. We're the owner of the contract. It is a unilateral contract between us and the company and we are the owner and we have first rights of that money. So if we create this larger pool, then we have, an, we have access to that equity to be able to go out, take the equity and pay cash for that car and then learn how to finance that. That is part of what you get with our life success and legacy team is an ongoing coaching, but helping people think through why we do what we do in order to help you create a system that will never, ever go away. And it just so happens that we're utilizing a dividend paying whole life insurance policy. It is just unbelievable. <laughs> just to give a little anecdote um, in the middle of this, the example Nelson talks about obviously is capitalizing a policy for a period of you know, four years or, or whatever, so that you can fully take a loan out and pay cash for the vehicle entirely. Yes, that's ideal. But we have clients all the time where they, they are maybe first starting out their policies and they haven't got them capitalized for four years and they've got a car loan. Well, we just coach them in, they're going to use their system to pay for part of the car with cash, but they're going to finance part of it with a bank. That's right they're still going to pay the thing off in, in you know, a year or two and, and get it all paid off. Um, you don't have to wait until you have the full amount to pay full cash nope. for the car. And, and again, that's where the coaching comes in as we help people think about their, their different options. And again, we don't tell people what to do with their money. Um, we just, we just educate and we show what their possibilities are and then they decide what's going to work best for them. All right. So now Nelson kind of plays a little bit of devil's advocate. He says, well, now, wait a second. What if the policyholder objects and says, well, it's my own money. I'm not going to pay any interest at all. Or maybe I'm only going to pay 2.9% as I see in television commercials. <laughs> so a little lesson there. Mike, you want to talk about what, what Nelson's trying to get a, across there? He, well, he even uh, references the, the guys in Midland, Texas. I'm again. telling you, then you got to take them back and think about some of the earlier um, chapters that we dealt with, uh, whether it be uh, the grocery store, because what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people understand this is a business. And what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to pay retail for the dollars that, or the inventory and the inventory just happens to be our dollars. And if they still don't get it from the, uh, um, the grocery store, we're going to take them to the first national bank of Midland, Texas. And the, the failure that the stockholders of the particular uh, bank 
it, it, everything went downhill. Um, I, I yeah, they hate weren't, to they ju- weren't paying on their, their loans. They yeah. were, it goes back to Nelson's principles. Don't steal from your system, right? You I'm telling you. System, you got to think long term and don't steal from your system. And in yep. both cases, whether it's the grocery store who's who's paying wholesale or, or taking their can of peas out the back, yep. or the, the bankers in Midland, Texas who weren't paying on their loans, in either case, you're stealing from your system. And the system will break down if you do that. Yeah, Nelson, he says, uh, if you're working with somebody and you've got walk, gone back and walked through those, he says they're either not teachable and or they are a thief. Neither I'm of these sure. characters is a desirable business associate. <laughs> it's a All little right. rough, but it's a reality. Well, that's how Nelson, he didn't pull any punches, man. He just shot no, he straight. Did not. No, he did not. Okay. Um, so the above example of car financing, the capitalization needs to be somewhat greater than just four years. Many college business professors estimate that corporations expect it to take at least seven years to get back a profit on a new investment. This is an understatement in certain undertakings. So why not capitalize each policy purchased for at least seven years to the point where dividends will pay all the remaining premiums on the policy? Now, there, we're going to be looking at illustrations in the book um, as we get into this in future chapters. Yep. And Nelson just references there, what about if you got to the place where you capitalize where the dividends could actually pay for the premiums? Mike Everett, would you ever stop making premium deposits? Never. Why? Because of the policy, the way it's engineered. So when I'll use a dollar, I'm just going to use a dollar. So let's pretend that you and I are going to go into business together because he uses a lot of business analogies inside this thing. Mm -hmm. So we're going to put a dollar in our business every year. So the first year we put a dollar in and if we showed you how to actually access 50 to 60% of that dollar in the first year, we did pretty well in our business. The second year, we put a dollar in our business. We access around 70%. The third year, we put a dollar in. We access around 90%. And the fourth year, we put a dollar in and we access the full dollar. Now, if that were a true business model, how many times would you want to be in business like that? Every single time. That is exactly the way we design or reallocate the dollars in premiums. So if it works with a dollar, would it work with $100? It would. Would it work with $10,000? It would. Would it work with $100,000? It works exactly the same. But it just so happens that we're purchasing a life insurance policy. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people to understand that there is a certain capitalization that needs to take place. So the bottom line is if I got four years down the road and I knew I was going to put a dollar in my particular business or in life insurance premiums and it grew by more than a dollar, would I ever want that to stop? No. No. So we help people understand that particular principle. Obviously, 
with the capitalization of those seven or four years. He uses an example later on in the book in the equipment financing, but we help people understand why the capitalization needs to happen. And then we un help them understand why they would not just make the minimum payment, but add to that minimum payment with economic value added. Mm -hmm. So they would create additional capital, a larger pool of money that they and their families would have access to. It is really that simple. There's a lot of people though that their concern is when they look at the premiums that they're putting in and you know say they're in their working years and they're putting money in and they're making money and and it's all working great but yeah. their fear is is looking ahead to okay what if i want to retire sometime in the future my income you know decreases what if i do a change of career and i'm not making as much money how am i going to support these big premiums 10 15 20 years down the road what do you say to someone like that well, part of them is, is helping them to think through, number one, uh, so many of our clients come to us and they have just a ton of debt, house, cars, credit cards, student loans, and the whole shooting match. So if we can somehow get rid of that debt and then we refunnel or reallocate those dollars back into their system, then what we're doing is we're creating larger dollars available down the road. But yet, if 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 the premiums end up being too much, there are all kinds of options to be able to help them think through this. And once you get down the road, 15, 20, 25 years, you know, when you're paying premiums, and I'm gonna use an example, if you're paying a dollar in there and it's growing by four or five dollars, mm -hmm. how hard is it gonna be to find a dollar? Right. It's gonna be unbelievably easy. And uh, if they're debt free, there's all kinds of options to be able to help them think through how they would come up with that dollar. It, the, the premiums are inconsequential down the road. They really truly are. Yeah, we have, we have clients who, you know, they're, most of our clients are completely free of outside debt in, you know, three to eight years, Yep. Um, sometime sooner. Um, and so if you have no outside debt, your home is paid for, you have no other debt, you have all that equity, you know, we have folks who they have a they have a, a home equity line of credit yep. that they use one time a year. They borrow against their equity, they pay their premium. The money that becomes available is more than what they paid in premium. So they turn around and pay off the home equity line of credit all within 30 days and made money on it and kept their life insurance in place and the whole thing. So there's so many creative ways to do that. It's unbelievable. Uh, that that's not an issue and you know even then the way we design the policies a large percentage of it is called a flexible paid up edition rider yeah right the key word in that is flexible. flexible yeah a lot of times we drop that down to the minimum $100 a year and so your premium has decreased by that point so there's tons of possibilities here I do want to use this as an opportunity though. I don't know that Nelson does a clear job of explaining um, his mindset and he's very clearly thinking about his audience who most people are, don't want to take loans and they don't yep. want to pay premiums. And so many of the examples in the book, he shows either decreasing the premiums. Mm -hmm. For example, here he says, why not capitalize each policy purchase for at least seven years 
to the point where dividends will pay all the re remaining premiums on the policy. There's a mindset that he's writing to when he talks about stopping paying premiums. Yep. And that same mindset is about not taking loans against policies. Can you kind of right. help? Because you know you've known Nelson and you'd heard him speak so many times. Can you help people understand why he's writing this? Because this is not how he would teach it. No, it's not. People, but he's writing to a specific audience. Well, it, it really has to do with the way we were trained in in business schools and finance. Uh, you know, even even the financial gurus out there are teaching us to pay as little as we can, and then at one point in time we can eventually stop paying on something. And um, Nelson is just speaking to that particular mindset. So part of the dilemma that we have is to help them change their thinking. And we we've said this in an earlier podcast. Um, Nelson always always said it's a matter of how you think. And even in this particular podcast, we have these ruts in our brains that we truly cannot overcome certain thought processes because that's the way we all got taught. So part of what we've got to make sure that we're doing is we're teaching people to actually utilize and maximize their system to the utmost. And if we get down the road and we pay a dollar in in premiums and it grows by three or four dollars, do we want to use the dividends to reduce the premiums? We do not. So part of what we've got to do is we've got to help them understand the inner workings of the policy. We've got to help them understand their premium deposits. We've got to understand, help them understand why we take policy loans to reduce outside debt, to create a, a situation to where the, uh, the change in the payments that we would make would come to us instead of to finance companies or outside financing. It's unbelievable. And there's, gosh, there's so many things that are going on in my head, but yet part of what we've got to do is we have to give people this in bite-sized pieces in order to get them to understand. We can't give them the whole steak. They've got to cut it, chew it, and figure it out because we want to help them understand how their system can truly benefit them and their families. We will come back to this point when we start looking at some of the illustrations later yep. in the book because oftentimes people go, wow, I, I want that policy where you only pay premiums for four years, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. our way of thinking, the way we've been taught to think is yes, we look yep. at those premiums as a bill, but if you look at that premium as a deposit, you would never want to stop making those premiums. So then why does Nelson show an example in the equipment financing where he stops making premium deposits in the fourth year? So we'll come back to those and why Nelson did it that way in the book. Um, that was good, Mike. Thank you for taking a moment to kind of give people some insight as to how Nelson was trying to write to, to his audience. Um, okay. Now he does reference here, I'm at the top of 25, he says, you must build it to the point where you accommodate the needs of others in order to prosper. Then he's referencing the grocery store, and then he's making the analogy from grocery store and making that link to banking. So he's saying what? We should build this thing so that not only can we take care of our own financial needs, but also other people's needs? You want to share about that? 
what he's well, talking about? Uh, basically, if you're going to build a system, uh, an infinite banking concept system, then chances are uh, you're going to need a place for some additional capital, especially when you reduce or eliminate your personal debt, then most of us have families. Mm -hmm. So we have children, we have grandchildren. Uh, and the way I get people to think through this is, think of some things that you have done in your life. Did you buy a car? Yeah. Did you go to college? Yeah. Did you get married? Yeah. Did you buy a house? Yeah. Well, after all of those things have happened and you start to have children, are they going to do those things? Um, they're going to also do those things. So because of where most of us have come from, we've come to a place where we've learned about infinite banking. But when we came to the table, we had credit card debt, we had car debt, we had mortgage debt, we some had college debt, student loans. And if we're able to get rid of those things, then mom and dad and or grandma and grandpa can then become the financing arm for those particular uh, financing issues for our children and our grandchildren. So what you're doing is you have your family circle. How big do you want your family circle? Well, I want mine to be really big. So as our kids and grandkids get older, can we finance their cars? Can we finance their mortgages? And really, those payments then come back into the system to build greater wealth, greater equity, and yet still build a greater pool of money that then you can access for future purchases. It's really so simple, but yet so difficult for people to overcome because that's not the way we got taught. Yeah. And we'll touch more on family banking and creating a family system um, multiple times throughout the book, I'm sure. It's one of my favorite topics to, to talk about. Um, we have several clients who have really created amazing uh, family banking systems where they are not allowing any of their dollars to, um, to slip outside their family circle. They're simply recycling those monies. So going back to one of the things we were talking about earlier, you know, people being concerned about their premiums in the future, not being able to pay them. Well, when you have a family banking system, <laughs> the loan payments that the younger generation is paying on the on the borrowed money they've taken from the family system, those payments are paying the premiums. You don't have to come up with money out of your pocket. You're yep. letting your kids finance the premiums. Yeah. So we've got a podcast. Um, maybe uh, Michael Crawford can note this um, in the in the comments. Uh, with this podcast, but we've got a, a podcast that talks about family banking and some examples uh, with that. Okay, I'm going to keep us moving here. Gosh, we get excited and we just uh. <laughs> want to talk about this stuff. Let's wrap up this chapter here. Um, Nelson is talking about a system of policies, mm -hmm. okay? He says, why would you not expand your own potential by buying all the life insurance on yourself that the companies will issue and then on all the persons in which you have an insurable interest. So Nelson at one point owned 49 life insurance policies. Mm -hmm. Okay, now not all of those insured his life, right? He insured family right. members, 
children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, business owners, ex anybody that had an insurable interest. Yep. Can you very quickly describe for people what is an insurable interest? Well, an insurable interest is basically, uh, and I'll just use you and I, for example, we're business partners. If something happened to me, what would happen to where we go as a, as a, a business? It would, it would probably take a couple of steps back. So you have a policy on me. I also have a policy on you because we have insurable interest in each other. Does a, uh, do our spouses have insurable interest in us or do we have an insurable interest in them? Absolutely. So um, it has to do with the fact that if someone was removed off of this earth through death or whatever, would, would you, would your financial uh, wherewithal be challenged? And mm -hmm. the answer is yes. And yeah. so that would create this insurable interest that we're talking about. So Nelson would buy policies on people he went into business with, yep. or if he, if he loaned money to somebody, he right away would get a policy on them. Because yep. if something happened to them, how's he gonna get his money back, right? That's right. So that's, that's exactly insurable right. interest. So. Uh, we, we help clients think through the people in their life that they have insurable interest. Now, in most cases, you're starting with yourself and your immediate family. Yep. But in some cases, like Mike and I, we have insurable interest in, in ourselves. We have an insurable interest in our team members, Mike Crawford and Shelly Forbes. And, you know, those are people that we have an insurable interest. And so those are people that we can get policies on. And then we're the owners of them. So we can utilize those for banking purposes whether that's on a personal level or inside the business. We that's can do correct. That. And again, we teach people about that. So now Nelson is talking about at the very end of this chapter, he says it'll take the average person at least 20 to 25 years to build a banking system through life insurance to accommodate all of his own needs for finance, his autos, his house, etc. But once the system is established, it can be passed on to future generations as long as they can be taught how the system works and suppress their baser instincts to go out the back door of the grocery store, <laughs> or in a word that is more descriptive, to steal. steal. The biggest challenge is not being an honest banker and not paying back your yep. loans. Yep. When people say, what is the risk? with infinite banking. <laughs> we always say the risk is you. the policy owner. You. That's it, that's it. Are you going to be an honest banker and are you gonna make payments back to your system? Now, for most of us, it's gonna take a while to get to the place where we can finance everything in our life, yep. right? Yep. But what happens, Mike Ever? let's just use your example. What happens to the system if you've done an effective job of educating your family and future generations about how IBC works? What happens to the system once you, as the oldest male, passes away? Uh, truly, the system will become self-sustaining um, because chances are, in, in a number of the policies, um, you've taken policy loans, you finance life, uh, whether it be house, cars, credit cards, whatever. And if there's a large um, policy loan out against that policy and I die, 
then chances are the, the money that will flood load back towards the system will automatically pay off all of the policy loans, plus there will be an excess of dollars available for either additional policies or additional financing. Um, it, it truly will become self-sustaining. This is the number one principle, think long-term. Um, and when I started my plan back uh, 15 years ago, I literally thought in my brain, I'm doing this for my kids and my grandkids that I did not have at the time. And then all of a sudden, because of the way we started to utilize our system and the fact that we had available dollars to utilize out of our own infinite banking system, I finally realized, and this was probably three to five years into my system, I go, oh my gosh, this is not just for my kids and my grandkids. This is for me and Linda right now. So we've been able to utilize the system and had no idea how quickly this thing would grow once we started to control our own wind current and we haven't even gotten into that chapter yet. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This oh. is one of the things that gets me super excited. Um, just because of my background as an educator, the education piece of this with future generations to me is so critical. It yep. is the, the gift is not the death benefit that they're going to get a bunch of money. It is the education they're going to get of what to do with that money when it happens. That is That's really correct. the most important piece for us. So, all right. Well, that was a packed full chapter uh, that we will be wrapping up in our next podcast. We'll, we'll review some of the basic understandings of that chapter. We'll hit on a review of part one. And then we'll be digging into part two, which in includes the human problems and Parkinson's law and Willie Sutton's law and some of those fun things to talk about. So to our listeners, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're really honored that you would spend time listening to um, this podcast talking about the, the treasure that Nelson left us with uh, mm. becoming your own banker. That is truly our intent is to honor the man and the work that he did over his lifetime. So we hope that you find this information helpful. Um, you can get a copy of Becoming Your Own Banker, BYOB, at lifesuccesslegacy.com or the case for IBC also available. Um, and then we have also got our other podcast that we've referenced that um, goes a little bit deeper into some of these topics, as well as interviews with some of our clients. And you can hear their personal stories and how they've used IBC in their lives. So thanks again for joining us. And we'll catch you next time on the Life Success Legacy Podcast.